Hi everyone, I'm Jen. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. I'm really grateful to be here and grateful to be sober. And uh, first, I just want to say thank you guys for allowing me to come and take an active part in my recovery. It's an honor and a privilege to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, congratulations, everyone, on your anniversary. It's fabulous. Keep coming back. Um, you know, the first time I spoke, I called my sponsor and I said, oh, my God, what do I say? And she said, Jen, the first thing you do is you tell them that your sobriety date. So um, my sobriety date is January 13th, 1997. I haven't found a reason or an excuse from that day till this to pick up a drink, and I am so grateful for that. I'm sober today by God's grace and 36 spiritual principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I hope and pray I never forget that. Um, I used to pay a lot of money to feel like I feel right now, so just give me a second. I gotta, you know, God has to catch up with me. He's still in his way. Um, <laughs> wow, yeah. So I, I called the sponsor, and she said, start off with your sobriety date. And then she told me to take a deep breath and let God speak through me. So the first time I spoke, I was 90 days sober. I got in front of a group like this, and I took a deep breath. I said my sobriety date, and then I remained absolutely quiet for the next 10 minutes. Because I thought God was going to take over my body and start talking through me. Um, that didn't happen, and I said, well, I guess God doesn't have anything to say today, and went and sat back down. Um, <laughs> gotten a little tiny bit better. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells us that what we do when we're here is to tell you guys in a general way what it used to be like, what happened, and what my life is like today. Um, I can kind of sum that up in about three sentences. I drank. I got drunk. I puked. Um, if puking offends you, please get with me after the meeting so I can make amends to you. My story has a lot of puke in it. Um, I was not. I, I was not one of those people. I was one of those people that you didn't want to drink with. Um, anyway, I'll tell you a little bit about me that has absolutely nothing to do with me being an alcoholic, just so you guys can get to know me a little bit. Um, I was raised by my grandmother and my uncle. I thought they were my mom and dad. I, my biological mom was in my in my life. I thought she was my aunt. Um, the only thing that they didn't lie to me about was the dog really was the dog. So um, that's good. <laughs> um, I drank the first time the night my grandmother died. I found out about three weeks before she passed away that she was my grandmother and not my mom. I was 13 years old. Um, my grandmother passed away on June 19, 1993, I think it was. Um, I looked at my family, and I have to put out there right now real quick that it is not my family's drinking that got me drunk. I no longer blame my family for my alcoholism. It was my drinking that got me drunk got me drunk and my drinking that got me the hangover and the blackout. Um, but I looked at my family to see how they were dealing with the this feeling that I had because I assumed they had the same feeling I did. And when I looked at them, they were drinking, they were sitting around the table, they had pizza, wings, and, beer, uh, and booze and beer. And they were drinking and they were laughing. And I wanted to feel how it looked like they felt. Um, I just wanted to feel how it looked like they felt. So I, after they passed out or uh, went to sleep, went home, I sat in in the kitchen in front of the refrigerator door. I opened the door, opened opened the door up. I sat on the floor. I held it open with my ankle and I reached for it. I grabbed a can of something. 
I opened it, I drank it, and threw it in the trash. I don't know how much I drank. I don't know exactly what I drank the first time I drank. What I do know is that I came to. I had vomited all over myself. I had peed myself. And I and I woke up with my aunt looking down at me, shaking her head, saying, we're not going to tell anybody about this. And I she got me up and cleaned me up and put me to bed. And I woke up the next day, and I had a hangover. I had one of those fun hangovers that when, you're, when the sole of your foot touches the ground, your head throbs. I never puked so much in my life before or since. Um, it, it was bad, and I swear I was never, ever, ever going to drink again. And uh, about six weeks went by, and a couple of girls and my one of my younger sisters went to a uh, we went to a fair, and and we were talking about drinking and how we wanted to drink because it's the cool thing to do because we're 13, 14 years old, and and we we stood outside of a state store we got ripped off a couple of times waiting for the old head to go in. You know, the old head was like 22. Um, and, and waiting for them to go in to go get us booze. And, and they came back and we were sitting behind one of those trailers that they have at, at carnivals and, and fairs with that clickety thing and you put your little bed on the thingamabob. I have no idea. I just remember the noise was making me crazy. Um, and we sat back there and we drank. And, and I can't tell you... I'm a blackout drinker, and I'm so grateful. I believe that God blessed me with that with that curse. Um, I came to the next. Actually, I went. I do remember one thing. We went on this ride called the Gravitron, and, and just in case you guys don't know what it is, it's a spaceship. It spins around really fast. You stick to the wall. I'm a puker. Um, <laughs> yeah, they closed that ride down. So, um, <laughs> so I. You know, it, it was bad, and I came to the next day. I was at my grandfather's house. My younger sister was with me, and she said, Oh, my God, Jen, you were so much fun last night. And, and I asked her, what it, you know, what, does she, what do you mean? And she told me what I had done, and, and I didn't believe her because I, my normal personality is the shy, quiet, introverted kid that sits in the back of the classroom that's up against the wall at the dance that doesn't talk out loud, doesn't talk to people, um, I'm really, really shy and really quiet. Not anymore. But who I used to, who I used to be before booze, that's who I was. And the sister of mine was telling me that I was um, singing karaoke, um, that Hey Mickey, You're So Fine song. <laughs> you know, and it's, no, there's no way I was doing that. And she had a little cassette tape, and she put it in and pushed play, and sure enough, there I was. And, uh... I don't know what I don't know what a long-tailed cat on a chair, a porch full of rocking chairs, sounds like, but I think I pretty much was close to that. It was bad. She blackmailed me for uh, quite a few years with that tape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's my that's my funny part of my story. That's all I have that's really comical um, because it's all the same. I, I got up and I got drunk and I blacked out and I passed out and I puked and I came to and. And I thought about how am I going to do that again. Um, I used to babysit for money. I ran away from my aunt and uncle's house. They took me in after my grandmother died. I ran away from them, and I moved in with my biological mom. I don't know about you guys, but I have a hearing problem when it comes to people telling me the rules. Um, (laughs) You know, my mom said, you can't come home drunk. You have to be home by 10 o'clock. And what I thought she said was, if you're drunk, don't come home. 
I, I mean, that's what, that's what she said, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Needless to say, that's not what she said. Um, and, and my poor mom. God, my poor mother. So I, uh, I was living with my mom and she stopped giving me money for, for lunch. And I'm in high school, I'm 14, 15 years old now, and she won't give me money for lunch. Instead, she says she'll pack my lunch. Um, I think my mom started going to that Al-Anon program. I didn't really like Al-Anon. Uh, my mom had been sober since I was four years old. So I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew where the meetings were. I even knew a couple of you guys and, and tried to ask some of them to go in the state store for me. Because <laughs> I thought alcoholics understand. They understand when you really want to drink, so they would definitely help me out, but they didn't. <laughs> um, gosh. Anyway. So so I started babysitting for money, and I found alcoholic parents. I found people that wanted to go out to the bar and party and have a good time, and, and they trusted me with their children, and they paid me in booze. And, and I am still praying for uh, for all uh, you know for those people. And, and God, I hope I don't owe any more amends to to them, but I I honestly don't know. Um, there was this one time it was January of '96. I uh, I was babysitting. The, the child was four months old. Um, <clears throat> I know of a party. Party is more important than the kid. I had a couple of uh, couple of cans uh, of uh, bush beer at the house, and I decided that, uh, you know, he's four months old. How much trouble can he get into? He's a little tiny baby. He can't roll over yet. And I, I left this infant in a house by himself so I could go and uh, and get drunk because. <clears throat> when I take one drink, I have to take number two. And when it comes between drink number two and, and a child, drink number two wins. And today, that is not my—that is not who I am. That is not who I am when I am a sober woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. When I am not drunk, that is not who I am. But I left that baby because <clears throat> what was important to me was to go drink. And I, I left that, that child. It was January of 96. The East Coast was having a blizzard. Uh, it was, it had three feet of snow. I came to in, a, in an alley behind an AA clubhouse. I don't remember how I got there. The only reason I woke up is because God sent an angel down an alley to, he was walking, he was taking a shortcut and he tripped over me. And that, and that's why I, that's why I'm here tonight. Had that not happened, I, no doubt in my mind you would have a different speaker tonight. Um, so this guy tripped over me, picked me up, dusted me off, and said, come on, where do you live? And I could not remember my address. And he walked me around the streets of southwest Philadelphia until I said, I think that's my house. And we walked up onto the, onto the porch, and he <clears throat> sat me down, and he knocked on the, he knocked on the door, and, and he left. And I have no idea who that man is, but I'm so grateful that he walked down that alley that night. Um, I knew that I was going to be in trouble the next day when I woke up and I was at home and I was in my bed and I remembered that baby. I knew I was in trouble and and I knew that I had I had the alcoholic card that I could play with my mom. My mom was an alcoholic. She was sober for a couple of years and I knew that I could say I think I might have a problem with booze and she would take my side. What happened with the baby is I, I left from the front door. The parents of the child walked in the back door. Uh, as far as I know, he is 15 years old today, and he's given his mom a run for her money. 
And uh, I'm so grateful to a loving God that that made them walk in the door when I was walking out the front. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. And I told my mom, I think I'm an alcoholic. And, and my expectations of my mom were that she was going to take me by the hand and she was going to bring me to AA and she was going to introduce me to all of you wonderful people. You were all going to love me and be nice to me and and hang out with me and do stuff with me and give me stuff, you know, presents take me out to eat, <laughs> you know, that's what you did when I first came, before I, you know, before I was an alcoholic, and my mom said to me, you know where the meetings are, and she walked away, and that was not what she was supposed to do, that wasn't part of the plan. Now, I'd been around AA a little bit growing up, and, uh, and I knew that there was a meeting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, and there was another one at 7, so I knew that nobody would be there at 4. So that's when I decided to go because then I could at least say I tried. And I, I went to this uh, I went to this clubhouse and I knocked on the door and I took off running down the street because I didn't really want to be sober. I was 15, 16 years old. You know, I was a, I was a little kid, and uh, and my mom told me be careful because if you go into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous thinking that you might have a problem, you come out as an alcoholic and you will never be able to drink the same again. <sighs> So uh, so I took off running the other way, and I turned around, I was walking back, and I, I was trying to be nonchalant, like it wasn't me that just knocked on the door. And this guy that was older than God himself opened the door, and he said, do you want to come in for a cup of coffee? And I said, no, I'm, I'm 15 years old, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> and he said, well, would you like to come in for for a can of Coke? And I said, uh, no, you're a dirty old man. What do you want with a young girl like me? And he said that there were some women in there, and why don't you come in and sit down and talk to them? And I, and I walked in, and I met this woman named Alice. And uh, Alice gave me her phone number, and she said, if you call me at 7 o'clock, at 7 o'clock I'll meet you for the meeting tonight. And I went home, and I told my mom, I went to that AA meeting. Look, I even got a phone number proof. You know, and she told me that I hadn't gone to a meeting. I had just gone during clubhouse hours and to, to go to the meeting. So I called Alice, and I don't know about you guys, but I didn't want to be a newcomer. I wanted to get sober with, like, 10 years. Um, you know, so I didn't want anyone to know that I was new. I didn't realize that you guys all pretty much go to the same meetings. You all kind of know each other. <laughs> you know, so I went into this meeting, and I was trying to act like I had time. Uh, Mind you, it's like my first meeting since I was six. Um, <laughs> so I went into the I went into this meeting and I did. I decided I was going to do everything that Alice did. Um, to tell you guys about me, I didn't drink coffee. I um <clears throat> I smoked like maybe four or five cigarettes a day. I, I wasn't a big smoker when I got sober. Um, Alice, on the other hand, was sober 14 years. She smoked two or three packs of cigarettes a day. She drank coffee like this, and she drank it black. So I did everything Alice did. And every time she lit a cigarette, I lit a cigarette. And every time she went for more coffee, I went for more coffee. And oh, my word, holy God. Um, makes my throat hurt thinking about it today. <laughs> um, I stayed sober for 30 days. And 30 days later, I heard this wonderful person come into an AA meeting, and, and they said, if you don't drink the first one, you can't get drunk. And that was music to my ears. I finally figured it out. You guys told me the trick. I just had to listen really carefully. 
And, and what I heard, I told you I have a hearing problem, right? You said if you don't drink the first one, you can't get drunk. So I called the boyfriend and I said, go get us a case. Here you drink the first one because it's that one that gets you drunk. <laughs> I do not want to get drunk. <laughs> so I gave him the first one. And needless to say, just in case there's anyone out there that has a hearing problem like me, let me tell you, it's the first one that you drink that gets you drunk. Um, and that <clears throat> that relapse started me on a uh, on a year of bouncing in and out of AA. And I have to tell you guys how grateful I am for the third tradition of Alcoholics Anonymous that, that says that the only requirement is the desire to not drink. Because if <clears throat> if you had to be at the meeting on time, I would not be here today. And if you had to be a certain age, I definitely would not be here today. And if you couldn't curse and if you couldn't smoke and if you weren't allowed to drink from a can and you had to have a straw or it had to be in a glass or any of those little rules that, that go almost everywhere else in the world, I would not be here today. So I just have to tell you that I'm so grateful for that tradition. Um, so, I feel like it's the first time I breathed all night. <laughs> So I uh, I bounced in and out of AA for a year, and I, I went to meetings late. I left early. I asked AA people to get me booze. I um I came in drunk. I came in high. Um, I cursed. <clears throat> I cursed during the meeting. I cursed at people who were sharing at the meeting. I told people they were full of uh, stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I did a I did a lot of stuff, and, and I. Just knew that I was an alcoholic and I, and I wanted so bad to feel how it looked like you felt because that's what happened to me when I started drinking. I wanted to feel how it looked like they felt and in sobriety I wanted to feel how it looked like you felt. You guys were happy and you smiled and you laughed and you talked to each other and, and you were nice and I wanted to, I just, well I wanted that. I wanted that bad. And um it was around Christmas time. It was three days before Christmas, and my mom came to me, and she said, the only thing I want for Christmas is for you to be sober on Christmas Day. And I said, okay, I think I can do that. And uh, I went out Christmas Eve, and I got drunk, and I um, I came home around 3.30 in the morning, and I was falling up the steps, and then I kind of lost my balance as I was falling up and fell sideways into the Christmas tree and knocked it over. My sister was, one of them was about four years old at the time she thought Santa Claus had come. Uh, we had a very early Christmas that year. Um, you know, I, I, I had my, my usual. I blacked out, I passed out, I puked all over myself and, uh, and anyone else that was near me. Um, I came to Christmas night, it was around 8, eight o'clock and my mom said, I really want you to come to an AA meeting with me. And I went to the meeting, and I walked in the door, and I, I smelled the stale cigarettes and the burnt coffee, and I heard the laughter, and we opened the door, and the puff of smoke came out. And, and, I, and I heard the laughter, and I wanted so bad to feel how it looked like you guys felt. And I, um, you know, I, I decided I would try again, and I started going to meetings again. And during this time, I, I was going online. I was driving Laura and people crazy on there, and I, I was just so, I, I was hurting so bad from alcohol and I didn't know what to do about it and I um, I stayed sober until New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve I went to one of those really corny AA dances um, <clears throat> I stayed sober through like the whole countdown thing and the next day was uh, January 1st 
I was in the, the Philadelphia Mummers Parade. It's a parade that's been going on for a hundred and some odd years. They march down Market Street every year, and uh, I was the Lion King. I was dressed up like a lion. I had a 125-pound uh, feather back piece on. And I, I got down to the judging station. I was stone cold sober. I made it through that, and I turned the corner, got off the camera. They took the back piece off me. The captain threw a beer at me, and he said, here, drink this. And I'm 30, about 30 days sober, and I, I'm not 30 days, I'm like three or four days sober, and I have this, um, this can of Budweiser in my hand, and I looked around and I said to myself, no sober alcoholic in their right mind would be at this parade. And I opened it and I drank and I, and I started drinking, and I cannot tell you what happened because what I remember is coming to in an AA meeting on January 12th, wearing a pair of cutoff sweatpants, white flip-flops and a white feeder t-shirt and I leaned over to the lady next to me and I said excuse me what day is today and she said Tuesday and I thought that would be really helpful useful information if I knew when day New Year's was <laughs> so I asked her what the date was and she said January 12th and, and I was so afraid I, I was scared to death because I, I wanted to be sober but I was so afraid to be sober because I don't know how to do sober and I was trying to plan my escape, you know, I'm going to run out the, should I run out the door, take the steps or the elevator when I get outside, should I get in a cab, should I just go and jump on a, in a random car, should I just run, how am I getting away from these people? And by the time I came up with my escape route, I'd already been drugged to the front of the room, a big book was in my hand, and this crazy lady was telling me what I was going to do for the next 30 days. Um, she was insane. <laughs> she said stuff like, you're not going to drink. <laughs> you're going to go to meetings. You're going to call me every single day. You're going to go to a meeting and you're going to get three women's phone numbers. And I remember asking her who she thought she was. And she said, I think I'm your sponsor and if you don't do exactly as I say, you will die from this disease. And there, were, there was a seriousness in her tone. There was a look in her eye. There was something that made me listen. And um, I went home that night, and I called, and I said, do I have to start calling you tonight? Because I was kind of afraid of her. Because she, she came up to me after that meeting, and she was like, a, she was like Hitler. She was scary. Um, you know, so I went home. I called her that night. And, and just to give you an idea of how fun I was as a newcomer, I would go to an 8.30 meeting and I would drink like four or five cups of coffee, you know, that AA rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. And like 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd be wide awake and crazy and, you know, the online people would eventually go to sleep. And I would still be up and nuts. And I would call my sponsor and be like, I can't sleep. And she, she would give me these really, really corny suggestions like, don't drink coffee after 5. You know, that... <laughs> Who would have ever thunk it, you know? And the, this one time I called her and I was like, I really want to drink and I don't know what to do. And she suggested I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I, I hung up with her. I got the peanut butter, the bread, the jelly, the knife, the plate, the whole nine yards, right? And I'm standing there in front of the kitchen, in front of the cabinet, and I look and I had to call her again to ask her what goes on the bread first. Because I did not know how to do anything when I got to AA. When, you know, alcohol burned my brain, my brain cells, I don't know. I'm so grateful I got here when I did. Um, you know, she told me to make my bed in the morning, 
and put the cap back on the toothpaste. That, I mean, I don't understand. You're just going to get back in the bed later. You're just going to use the toothpaste tomorrow. It doesn't matter. You know, and and I got to tell you, when I wake up in the morning and I don't make the bed, I have a really off day. And when I don't put the cap back on, it, it's an off day. So, uh, so that's something that I that I started to learn. And I am so far not by any stretch of the imagination perfect when it comes to that. Um, anyway, so uh, I'm sober. I'm going to meetings. I'm getting three women's phone numbers like she told me to. I get the number. I take it outside. I walk down the street. I throw them in the trash. Because she didn't tell me I had to call them. She just told me to get them. So I'm a very literal person. Like, you have to tell me exactly what you want me to do. So I did it. I did exactly what she said. Um, I was 30 days sober, and a, and a friend of <clears throat> a friend that I drank with committed suicide. And when I was 60 days sober, another friend committed suicide. And when I was 90 days sober, my grandfather died of cancer. I was four months sober. A friend was killed in a car accident. Five months sober, another friend to another car accident. My first 12 months of sobriety, I went to 13 funerals of people that I drank with, that I hung out with, people that <clears throat> were my neighbors or I was related to. Um, when I, w- <clears throat> I celebrated my one-year anniversary on January 25th, 1998, it was Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I had plans on going to a Super Bowl party. Then I remembered I had a chair meeting. <laughs> I was my my very first AA anniversary meeting, and my my cousin, who was also my best friend, asked me if I wanted her to go with me, and I told her no to go to the go to the party instead. So uh, <clears throat> that night I went and I celebrated my first anniversary, and that night my cousin was killed in a car accident, and I um I did not know what to do. And I called my sponsor and I said, what do I do? And she said, go to, a, go to the young people's meeting. And I went to the meeting and I paced the back of the room because I couldn't sit down. And I shared that I, <clears throat> that my best friend was on life support and they were going to take her off tomorrow at 3 o'clock and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this sober. And my sponsor came up after, <clears throat> came and picked me up after the meeting and she drove me back to the hospital and and her and four or five other people from that young people's meeting sat with me until the next <clears throat> until the next day when they had to leave for work. And they left for work, and the next afternoon my sponsor came back and she sat with me again. And she did she asked me stupid questions again. You know, sponsors have dumb questions, <laughs> like, "Did you eat?" <laughs> you know. And she took me down to the hospital cafeteria and she made me eat something in a. And we went back in, and my cousin didn't live through that, uh, live through that car accident. I went to yet one more funeral, and, and I have to tell you, when I reached out to Alcoholics Anonymous, every single time AA has reached back to me, um, there were a lot of people that came to that funeral, and, and I was standing in this receiving line, and my family was on this side, and my mom was on this side, and, and my aunt was over here, and, and my aunt didn't know that I was in AA. So all these AA people, you know, we, I mean, look at us. We have a lot of different faces. And my aunt would would elbow me and say, who was that? How do you know them? Because I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I have 60-, 70-year-old people coming through this line giving me a hug telling me that it's going to be okay to just hang in there. Um, absolutely incredible. Anyway, so that's, like, that's the negative stuff. Oh, wait, no, there's one more negative. i got to tell you, it's really good, though. Um, 
I was five years sober. I was on top of the world because, you know, I'm five now. And, and I had a new car, and I had a great job, and I had an apartment, and I had, a, I had cable. I had a cell phone. Like, I was cool. Um, <laughs> I was, God, how old was I? Oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you guys. So I'm 14 years sober, and I'm 32 years old. I got sober when I was 17. I've never had a legal drink. And, and I wanted to tell you that in the beginning, so you weren't trying to calculate it while I was talking, but I forgot. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I was five years sober, and I think I was like 22, 23 years old, and, and I had all this great stuff, and, and then I got in a car accident, and I totaled my car. Two weeks later, I lost my job. And a um, couple, couple months later, I, uh, everything started getting turned off. You know, my, my cool little cell phone went off, and my cable went off, my Internet went off, and then my electric went off. And I, uh, I lived stone cold sober because I did not open my mouth in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I did not tell the truth. I lived in an apartment with no electric for eight months. <clears throat> I ate oodles and noodles every single night. Uh, today, that stuff still makes me sick. I can smell it if you drop it into the boiling water within seconds. Um, <laughs> I stole cat food out of friends' cat's bowls for my cat. And uh, and that, that's how I lived for eight months. And finally, my sponsor called me on it, and she said, you know, if you don't get honest about what's going on with you, you will drink. And I went to a meeting that night and I shared that I hate being sober and sober isn't fun anymore and you guys are horrible and I hate all of you and I hate my life and, you know, what's that song about the worms? You know, I, yeah, I, everything's so bad I want to eat worms or something. Oh, it's bad. Um, you know, by the end of that meeting, I had a, uh, I had a job interview. I had 57 candles. I will never forget that I told people in AA that my electric was off and they gave me candles. And I, <laughs> and I lined the perimeter of my apartment with candles. And I have to tell you from that day until this, that was the most serene, calm, and peaceful time of my sobriety. But at the time, I thought it was the end of, it was the, end of the world. Um, yeah, I thought that was bad. Uh, <clears throat> really, long story short is uh, I found a job and I went on that interview, I had a job, the, the boss was in AA, and he paid me $200 too much, and, and I had to make that decision, you know, do I keep the 200 bucks and act like I didn't know, or do I go to sleep tonight? You know, it, it really, <laughs> that is the decision, and I decided that I wanted to sleep, and I went in, I told him, he thanked me for being honest, he gave me the money, I went, I got a very cheap used car. I had $424 in my checking account. My car was $412, so I had just enough money to put gas in the car. I packed everything I owned in that car, and I drove down to uh, Woodbine, New Jersey. About two hours south of Philadelphia, I had a friend that lived there. Her husband just left her, and I <clears throat> figured I could, uh, you know, go and crash with her since she would need a roommate now. Um, I went and I stayed there for, for a couple of months and I went on this job interview for a job that I knew that I would not get because I looked in the paper and the ad said must have experience and, and I didn't have experience in it and, and I decided that I, I would go and just humor myself because my sponsor said you never know what you can do until you try and, and I heard these goofy old timers that said if you want to <clears throat> make a million dollars hang out with someone that makes a million dollars and ask them what they do. 
you know, walk around and follow people and do what they do and you'll get what they you you'll get what they have. You know, so I, I'm interviewed for this job. I was hired on the spot. I still don't understand why. Um, two weeks ago, I bought my first house because of the fact that I was in that car accident and because of the fact that I lived without electric and because I ate those oodles and noodles for all those months. All of those little chain of events made it possible for me to be who I am today. Um, I have to tell you guys that that is not the biggest reward of my sobriety. The biggest reward of my sobriety, I actually have two. Uh, one of them is <clears throat> in June of 2005, my biological father was uh, diagnosed with a severe form of throat cancer. And, and I didn't know what to do, and I went to AA, and I said, what do I do? And you guys said that <clears throat> you go and you be his daughter. And I didn't know how to be a daughter to him because I, I didn't really like him. So I um I asked people how do how do you become a daughter and they uh my they gave me suggestions and they told me to call and ask how you're doing you know and uh my aunt called me and told me and my dad was <clears throat> probably not going to make it for very much longer the doctors were giving them three to six months to live I got on a plane I flew to Florida and I made amends to my dad I hung out there with him he uh he went through a really really bad time and um. Yeah, he went through he went through a hard time, and he had a he had a tracheotomy, he had a feeding tube, and all this other cool medical equipment. And and the doctor said to him, "You have to like you're going home, you're going home on hospice, and you can't go fishing, and you can't go camping, and and you pretty much have to stay inside, and you can't go outdoors when it's X amount of degrees out, and you have to do this and you have to do that." And I got on a plane, I flew flew back to New Jersey. And I called, and his nurse answered, and she said, he's not here. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's dying. He has to be there. And she said, he left a note and said, I went camp, and I'll see you next week. You know, so I called him to yell at him, to tell him, Who, what are you doing? You're going to die. You know, and he reminded me that he was going to die, and who was I to tell him how to live the end of his life? And, and my dad told me that he was going to live for five years. I was on uh, June 25th of 2005, and my dad or 2004, my dad died on June 22nd of 2009, um, almost five years to the day later. And when he had this tracheotomy, I didn't know what to do because I didn't know how to call anymore because he couldn't talk to me. And I went and I called, I called sponsors and AA people and I said, what do I do? And they said, you know, another dumb suggestion. Well, why don't you send them a card? So I started sending him cards, and I sent my father a card every Sunday for three years. He never mentioned that he ever received those cards. I never brought them up because it wasn't important. And I, I flew down there for for his memorial service, and, and when I was getting ready to leave, his wife came up to me, and she said, Here, I think you might want this. And it was a box of every single card I had ever sent him. And, and he saved every single card that I ever sent. I have to tell you, that is Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, uh and God doing for me what I can't do for myself. My next biggest gift is my my sister. Uh, that four-year-old that I woke up when I was falling into the Christmas tree drunk. She uh, She's almost 19 now, and she's doing her second year in college. You know, and I am so proud of that little girl. She called me in May, and 
she didn't realize that she had to be out of her dorm on Friday, not Saturday, and nobody could go pick her up. And she called and said, can you come and pick me up? So I made the uh, four-hour one-way trip to go pick up my baby sister to bring her to my mom's house. You know, that, that's the plan. And as we were driving back, she told me that she was so proud of herself because she, uh, she got an interview. And I was so proud of her, you know. You know, I, I helped her with the resume and I helped her with the cover letter. And, and she asked me, how far is this real estate agency from where you live? And uh, I told her, oh, it's like a block away. Why? And she said, that's where my interview is. So uh, my sister came and lived with me for the summer. <laughs> and she, she's an 18-year-old kid, and she is fabulous, just a fabulous kid because she she's such a good kid. She's so not like me. Like she is nothing like me, and and I got to I got to be the sober role model for this little girl. And she came up to me and she said, "Jeff, you can't buy a house." And I was like, "Why not?" And she said, "Well, you're not married." And I was like, "Oh, you're right. I can't buy a house then." <laughs> you know, and uh, and I got to be a role model for the for this little girl to to show her that you don't have to be married to buy a house. No offense, guys. Um, <laughs> we really don't need you that bad. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm lying. I'm lying. Uh, anyway, I'm really grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be sober. I don't. I. I don't know if I talk too long or too little or what have you, but I. I just kind of feel like God's telling me to shut up now, so I'm going to be quiet. Thank you for letting me share.